Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 156 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Zach Diamond and I'm a middle school digital music teacher in Washington, D.C. And tonight I'm joined by Daisha Guffey, a social studies teacher and Canvas coach in Durham, North Carolina, and Paul O'Donohue, a high school math teacher and track coach, both of whom are distinguished Modern Classrooms educators and expert mentors and also uh, returners to the podcast. So both of you have been on the podcast at least once before. Welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast. Daisha and Paul, how are you? Doing great. Thank you for having us, Zach. We really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, same here, Zach. Good to be back. Yeah, we're super happy to have you back on the podcast. This is obviously another one of those episodes where the the panel of guests has more experience than than I like I do, right? So, uh, we we are listeners. You and I are definitely going to be in good hands tonight. We have a lot to learn from Daisha and Paul, and this is the topic that I've kind of been teasing this whole month um, leading up to this episode. We're going to be talking about the sort of distinction between tracking progression and assigning grades to students, which I think is a really important aspect of the Modern Classrooms model, it's sort of wrapped in with how and why we use pacing trackers and how we present them publicly and, and all of that kind of stuff. So we're going to get into that shortly. But before we do, even though both of you have been on the podcast before, and I am going to link all of your episodes in the show notes for this one, go ahead and reintroduce yourselves to our guests. Tell us a little bit more about yourselves, who you are, and how you started with MCP. Okay, well, I have been teaching for the past 25 years in North Carolina in public schools all over the state. Um, primarily, I've taught a lot of low-income students. I've taught a lot of students who sort of come to the classroom with a lot of struggles, a lot of learning deficits. That's just sort of been my lane all the way through. And I discovered Modern Classrooms in 2019. I was working at a dropout prevention high school, and I was really looking for that self-paced, that blended learning model, and and this idea that students weren't going to just keep going the next day because it was Tuesday. They needed to learn the skills before they keep progressing. And that was what I discovered when I, you know, came upon the Modern Classrooms Project. It was actually the Edutopia video that a lot of people saw for the first time during that time period and got connected with Kareem and was able to get my entire high school on board with Modern Classrooms and brought it to our district. So that's been a really amazing journey, became able to become a mentor and all of that. So it's really transformed my educational practice in a major way. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Love that call back to the Edutopia video. You know, it's interesting. People used to mention that video all the time on the podcast. And it's interesting to me because people have sort of stopped. And I'm wondering if the reach of Modern Classrooms is expanding beyond that video. People are finding Modern Classrooms in other ways, which is actually very cool. Um, so yeah, and of course, the self-pacing, uh, fully agree with you there. The, the self-pacing is such a great hook, you know, you see it and you see it, you understand it immediately and it, and it just makes sense. Definitely. So thank you, Daisha. Thank you. Uh, Paul, how about you? Introduce yourself. Yeah, so I, um, I'm in year seven of teaching. I um, taught in Massachusetts for five years right out of college, which is my home state. Um, and I've been in Grand Rapids, Michigan the past two years. 
and uh, sort of similar time frame as as Daisha around. It was around COVID for me. Um, you know, we all went home in March, and the next year was kind of remote hybrid, and school just you know was not working for me or for the students. Um, and kind of exactly as Daisha said, I found the Edutopia uh, video. I think just on Twitter, like it just kind of popped into my feed, and uh, and I watched it, and immediately I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is game changing. And this just makes so much sense for the classroom. Um, and from there it was kind of process of taking baby steps into it. So I, you know, sort of, uh, started doing instructional videos and kind of tried to do self-pacing as much as I could, but in, you know, sort of the remote hybrid settings of school during COVID, it was really challenging. You know, we were all just trying to survive at that point, like tread water, um, in school. So it was actually almost kind of nice to kind of, uh, you know, take some beginner steps. And then once we were kind of back full-time in the classroom, I was just all in. Um, and yeah, incredibly rewarding experience. So I, I basically started at my third or fourth year of teaching, and now I'm kind of in year three of uh, of full-time in modern classroom. Um, so having done it kind of in a um, suburb of Boston out in Massachusetts, and now here kind of in more of an urban district uh, in Grand Rapids, it's just been, you know, life-changing for my teaching and just really good for my students. It's, it's so fun to make tweaks every year and to, and to do stuff like this where I'm meeting other educators and having great conversations. So um, yeah, it's been, I, I'm so thankful that I found it at this point in my education career. And now I get to kind of continue to, to build and learn um, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I remember that, that you're coming back after COVID and just being like, I need to change a lot. But modern classrooms is definitely giving me like an anchor here. <laughs> I can know what I can, where to start from. And it does continue to evolve, right? Um, talking with people, like you said, Paul, talking with teachers, doing this podcast for me, listening to teachers and learning more about modern classrooms. There's so many different ways, you know, and it's definitely a big, a big world out there. So, um, so I guess we all agree. <laughs> we're all definitely uh, in the pocket of modern classrooms. And I think that we're definitely all MCP OGs on this episode because we go back a long time. That is for certain. (laughs) That is definitely true. (laughs) Yeah. So is it going to be a good one? Um, So we're going to talk about progression versus grades. That's how I wrote it on the document. And I want to kind of cut straight to the chase here. Uh, the, The topic idea for this episode came up when Tony Rose and I were thinking about topics for this podcast season, because people ask all the time if using a public tracker you know, causes anxiety for students or if students are are anxious or nervous or worried about having their data displayed publicly. Um, and, and that's what I'd like to talk about here. My kind of line on this has always been that it's about how we frame the data that we're putting up on the board in my case, or on the tracker, you know, uh, if we frame it as progress data, it just feels very different to me than if we were putting up their grades, right? If we were putting their grades up there, I can definitely see how that would cause anxiety. And I think that goes back to what we've been talking about previously this month relating to grading on how there's like sort of this emotional weight to grades, whereas progress is a little bit more objective, a little bit less uh, emotional. So, you know, that's where I'm coming from here. But I just want to have both of you talk a little bit more about this distinction, the distinction between displaying progress data and grades, right? So can you talk about that distinction and maybe talk a little bit also about how you frame your trackers with your students and, and in your own minds to alleviate that anxiety around displaying their their progress data publicly? I think part of it is a having a conversation really early on about that fact that this classroom is not one where you're going to have bad grades. 
Like I, I, I want to really establish that hardcore when I start out, you know, when I start talking to the students about we're doing the modern classrooms model and, you know, maybe you've never been exposed to this before, but one of the key things is you're not going to have bad grades in here because we're going to revise and we're going to reassess and we're going to go back and fix the things we need to fix and change and, and you know, do what we need to do to fix misunderstandings. So no one is going to have bad grades in here. And I think that is also a big culture shift as teachers because we've been so accustomed to, I give you the assignment, you do the work, I give you the grade, we move on. And instead of being able to say, okay, I've given you the assignment, let me give you really quality feedback on this assignment, go back and make edits and then let's revisit it. Because we tend to not build the breathing space within our own curriculum for that to even happen. Right. So, you know, from the get go, if you're establishing that perimeter, then the tracker is is irrelevant when it comes to grades. The tracker is literally just where are you? Where are you in this forward progression we're all moving towards? And, you know, for like I've done this, you know, I've done the pacing trackers in person and in the virtual environment because I teach at a virtual academy now. And in person, I gave my, and there, this is high schoolers, I gave them little magnets that looked like spaceships, and they moved them across a board, and they loved it. They loved that sense of achievement that they were getting there, and, and that forward momentum. And then with my virtual kids, we have, like, we've used the auto tracker, we've used game boards where they move little icons, um, and again, it's, it's just really about achievement. It's like, look, you're moving through the levels of the game. That's what we're doing here. But really disassociating the idea that this is about who has the highest average or anything like that. That's like, that's fundamental to the model to begin with before you even touch the pacing tracker, I think. Yeah. And I think that the idea you mentioned this at the beginning of that response, the idea of revision being a thing that we're going to do no matter what. So whatever the progress data say right now, your grade is going to be fine. You're going to get good grades because you're going to go back and fix anything that is wrong, you know, address anything that you've had, you misunderstood. Um, that's an interesting way to frame that too. It's like, don't worry about your grade. It's going to be good in the end. We're going to work our way there and maybe at different paces, but I really like that. Um, oh, I want to ask you a follow-up question, Daisha. Like, do you ever find that the, the progress data becomes sort of like a surrogate for the grades data and students start to feel nervous about the progress or like even stigmatize uh, being behind? Has that happened in your class at all? Well, I think that that's, that piece falls into your court as the teacher. You should not be letting your students get ridiculously behind the rest of the pack. Managing the pack, as I put it, so that everyone is kind of in the same ballpark is on you. So that means if you see a kid who is starting to fall further and further behind, you're having those individual conferences with them. Maybe you're taking away some assignments off of their to-do list. You know, you're exempting them maybe out of some aspire to do's or should do's or whatnot. You're sending them through a pathway that's going to allow them to catch up and get back with the rest of them. Um, and with by the same token, if you see kids really just bursting ahead, are you giving them challenging enough aspire to do assignments to keep them sort of pulled back with the rest of the group. That's your, I think that's the biggest piece. And honestly, the hardest piece of managing the modern classroom model is learning how to leverage 
the, the different types of categories of activities and lessons so that you can keep your students kind of in almost in lockstep with each other. You'll have some amount of variance, of course, but that's what you're doing. And so if I see as a teacher whose pacing tracker is like, we've got kids in, in lesson one and kids in lesson six, then that you're not doing that piece. I don't think. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, and yeah, I've, I've definitely, I asked this because it occurred to me as you were speaking before, I've had this happen. I work with middle schoolers, which is definitely an interesting age. Uh, and I have heard them say like, oh yeah, see, look at me, I'm ahead. Right. As it's sort of in a, not friendly competitive way. Mm -hmm. And so it like, it, it occurred to me that like that could take the place of those emotions around grades. Right. And we don't want that. I think that we definitely want to sort of foster a sense of progress being the goal. We're all working towards the same thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great point. I hadn't even thought about it that way. Daisha, that's a very, very good point that it's, it's in our court. It's our job to make sure there aren't those wide gaps for students to, to think about that way in the first place. Paul, how about you? What would you, what would be your take on this, uh, this topic of, you know, anxiety around progress trackers and displaying progress versus displaying grades. I, uh, I, I definitely focus at the start of the year to really um, emphasize to kids the importance of, or I should say how important self-pacing is uh, and, and can be in a classroom. I, I start my year in with a unit zero. And one of the first activities we do is, um, is we make origami butterflies. And I start this activity by playing a YouTube video at the front of the room for everyone to watch at the same time. And I don't pause or rewind the video or anything. I just let it play. And within seconds, kids are freaking out about, you know, that it's going too fast and they can't keep up. And it's about a three minute video. And at the end, kids have crumpled their papers. They've ripped it. They have a couple folds because they're so frustrated and stressed. And inevitably there's also a few kids that have been able to keep up and finished it. Um, and so you get this huge range of, you know, ability just in able to, in, in watching this video. And then I say to the kids, okay, so clearly that didn't work for everyone. Now I want you all to open your own devices, find this video and complete the butterfly, the origami butterfly at your own pace. And then when you're done, I want you to hang it <clears throat> around the room. You know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll put it up on the bulletin boards. And so by the end of class, we have, you know, if it's a class of 30, we have 30 butterflies around the room. And I talked to the kids about how, you know, when we were all watching at the same pace, it didn't work for everybody and we all needed something different. And so then when you went to watch on your own or work with a partner, you were able to do what worked for you. And so that activity really helps with, with um, telling kids about how in a self-paced classroom, you're doing what works for you. And there's going to be some lessons and some units where you're going to learn quickly and you're going to, you're going to need less time. And there's going to be other lessons and units and units where you need more time. And so I really hard, I really emphasize that at the start of the year about, you know, you're going to get a chance to self-pace in this class. And so that leads into the progress tracker and by the time I sort of introduce that to students, we've talked so much already about self-pacing and that how we're all kind of, we're going to go at the speed that works for us. And so it immediately shifts the focus away from what's your grade going to be just to really how much time do you need? Um, my principal at our school often says time is the variable, right? Uh, it, it's, that's the thing that students, uh, you know, is going to take to dictate how much they are going to accomplish is just how much time they have, right? If they have a lot of time, they can accomplish something as much as someone who might not need a lot of time. So, um, yeah, I think, I think with how much I emphasize self-pacing and every, every student kind of needing their own, their own space and time to learn something, by the time we get to that progress tracker, um, we've really, uh, you know, we've cut down on the importance of thinking about grades and more just thinking about making that progress and moving from one less lesson to the next 
uh, and having the time and, and space to be able to do that in the classroom. Yeah. Wow. That butterfly activity is awesome. I, I love that. Uh, what a good idea to sort of make it resonate with kids, right? It's the connection that you make to the lessons later on where they're like, okay, you know, every lesson is different. Uh, some people will need more time. I have this conversation with my students a lot where, you know, some, I tell them, you know, some, one of the lessons is going to be on making your drum beat. And one of the lessons is going to be on writing your lyrics. Right. And even if one of you actually were smarter and I'm using air quotes with my fingers here, if one of you actually were smarter than the other, which you're not right. We're all just different. Even so, one of you would prefer writing lyrics and one of you might prefer making your drum beat. They're just different things. There's no, there doesn't need to be any judgment or stigma around one or the other and which one you do faster. You might just want to spend a lot of time crafting a really, really intricate drum beat, or you might just want to get the drum beat done with so you can get to the lyrics and spend a lot of time crafting like beautiful poetic lyrics or whatever. They're just different lessons. Um, and yeah, you might just want to take different amounts of time for them. That's, but yeah, I don't know. Like the, the butterfly activity, I I think I might want to steal that and try it out with my kids, Paul, because what a, what a cool way to like bring it home and make them realize. Yeah. I'll really need to like write up a lesson plan for it because, uh, my, myself and my colleague, uh, Byron Shemechko, who's another, uh, MCP mentor and, um, and has been doing modern classroom the same amount of time as I have. We, we kind of set that up together. We've shared it with staff. We've shared it with students. And it's really been a big hit. It's just like such a great way to kick off, um, you know, modern classroom with students and, and the whole idea of self-pacing. And um, yeah, so I think I'll have to, I think I'll have to write up a lesson plan and, and put it out there. Yeah. Well, if you do, let me know and I'll go back and I'll link it in the show notes for the episode. Absolutely. So Daisha, how about you? Do you have any like routines, anything like that for communicating this type of framing with your students? Like it could be something formal, like that very cool butterfly activity, or it could just be like informally as these discussions come up. Uh, and I guess I'm, I'm also curious to hear in the virtual space how that works, like how you actually have those conversations with students. But I guess the, the real gist of my question is like, how do you help the students shift their mindset uh, in that same in that same way that you're shifting your mindset to progress as opposed to grades? How do you help the students see that in that in that way? It is it is a difficult transition um they've just been so very intentionally <laughs> programmed to to value that grade point average no matter what yeah it does also in my own mind tie back to a lot of ideas about grading for equity and the problem that i have fundamentally with like a hundred point scale just out the gate um but we we spent a lot of time in my class just spending spending like the first couple of units dragging them back away from the culture of completion <laughs> into the culture of mastery. And, you know, and that's a hard shift for, for kids, especially the older ones who've been in school for a minute, um, getting them to understand that, yes, I see you did the activity. You also did it very poorly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we have to sit down and, and, and look at, where were you getting these answers from? Where were you getting this information from? Were you really trying to learn it and get it? Or were you just trying to knock something off of your checklist? And, you know, realizing that I'm just going to very stubbornly go, no, we have to go back and do this correctly. No, I need you to look at my 
source that I linked into this Google slide, that's the one I want you to look for and read through, not just random Wikipedia article that you went to to see what you could find real quickly. Um, and just teaching them the difference in that quality of work is more important to me than quantity of work. And that was, a, honestly, that was a huge shift for me as an educator because I had grown up with the school of thought in education where it's like, we got to teach bell to bell. We've got to fill every moment with activities, right? And part of that was just classroom management. If I keep the kids busy enough, they can't get into trouble. But I am not leaving any room in that for revision. I'm not leaving any room for them to go back, rewatch a video, learn something through a different type of activity. I'm, there's no space if I do that. And so when I started building my courses, especially for my virtual you know, my virtual school classes in Canvas, I had to think hard about it. How can I find the balance between putting too much in my Canvas modules so the students don't have enough time to finish it all and certainly don't have enough time to, you know, craft revisions? And then the, on the flip side, not putting enough in Canvas. And then I've got kids who are like, I finished unit one today. <laughs> you know? And so finding that balance was, was something as well. But just like for the first unit, I don't really honestly have nearly as many of activities as I might have later on as we go further into the course, simply because I'm, I'm going to be really tough about what they're, they're turning into me. I'm like, mm -mm, no, no, friend, that's no, we're going to send that back. I need you to read all my comments I put in your Google Doc and I need you to revise that and then send it back to me. And we'll do that. We'll do that as many times as we need to. Um, and it, it again, it they will they will buck about it. <laughs> they will be frustrated at first because they have gotten used to I turned it in. What else do you want from me? Um and I'm like, no, nah, we, we want to do this right. And one, I think one example I gave to some of my kids was, I was like, if you go work at Burger King and your manager tells you to mop under all the booths at Burger King and you mop under one booth, and then you go back to him and say, I mopped, guess what he's going to do? He's going to send you back to mop all the booths. And I'm sending you back because you only did a small fraction of what I asked you to do. And, and getting them to understand that, that difference in the mindset, the quality versus the quantity. Right. And then I think that even maybe after a little while, you can start to help them see like getting sent back is actually me telling you, I think you can do a better job and I'm telling you how, and don't you want to do a better job? I, I'm trying to think about how to connect this to progress then. Like, you know, you shouldn't be progressing if it's wrong. Yeah. And, and yeah, I've, I've been seeing a lot of that. It's the beginning of the school year. You know, I have, I teach a sixth grade class. These students are brand new to middle school. They're brand new to, to my building. Right. And they're obviously brand new to my class too. And I get a lot of that. Like, wait, I did it. I have to do it again. What do you want me to do? Yes. And I'm like, well, <laughs> let's talk about it. And yeah, I think that like that, that loop, that sort of iterative loop of continually being sent back, I, I, my personal experience has been like students don't, you're right that they buck. I, I mean, they complain, right? But they see the value in doing it nonetheless. Like they, yeah. they go back and they do it because they want to get that X on the tracker, the little check that shows that they did it. 
they usually have this weird aha moment that happens and it happens at different times, but they'll, they'll have it and they'll go, Oh, so I am going to do much better on the mastery check. If I do the things you told me to do. Right. I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I actually have some, some knowledge, but I think another piece of it that's, that's big that I see the kids who are normally like the a, a honor roll students, they get more frustrated with it. Yeah. Than the kids who have struggled yep. because with the kids who have struggled academically, I'm going, it's fine, babe. We'll just look at it again. And here's some guiding questions and here's some extra scaffolding for you. And they're like, really? You mean I'm not just a failure because I failed it this first time? No, we're, we're learning together. Do go back. We do it again. And then versus some of my kids who are used to, well, I'm a good kid and I did the work and I, use complete sentences so i get an a right and i'm like no <laughs> not not really yeah yeah it makes you realize how much those kids are sort of driven by grades right mm-hmm. which which i think when when push comes to shove i guess like when when you start looking when you start sending them back like you said and making them redo or revise their work and they complain about it 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 makes it's it's i guess it, strange to say but it's almost a little sad right it's like these are our best students and what's driving them is this sort of like it's not real it's the it's the grade layer right but the actual learning that's underneath you know it's we need to we need to tap into that paul do you have anything to add here yeah so much um but i'll uh i'll I'll keep it short in the sense that Daisha, i totally uh kind of resonate with with what you're talking about i'll often have kids come up to me like holding their their practice worksheet for whatever lesson they're on look like they're trying to turn it into me. Like they're trying to give it to me because they're sort, they're sort of so conditioned to um, that, that completion is progress, which will lead to a grade, right? Like just getting the assignment done is worth something uh, whether or not you sort of showed any understanding on it. Um, and so I've, I'm always sending kids back just because I I'll say like, listen, these aren't, you know, you're not doing this for me. I'm not collecting this. Like I, I barely collect anything in class, you know, from my students other than mastery checks. And so that's a huge shift to getting kids to realize that their progress is going to come from actually understanding. And they're not just sort of checking boxes of, of completion. Um, so I think that's sort of another important part of this too, that it's not really progress, uh, progress by completion. It's progress by understanding. Right. And then the grades kind of follow, like then your grades become from mastery and understanding and not just because you completed a bunch of assignments and the same goes for those students with those executive functioning struggles who just struggle to turn things in on time or struggle to turn things in at all. And then their grades get crushed from it. So they get a zero in the grade book and then it just, you know, they're, and then they're failing when it's reflecting just their completion of something rather than, um, you know, their actual understanding of the content. And so I just love how modern classroom gives students who might struggle with those executive functioning skills, that chance to revise that chance to go back and try again. Um, and show progress based on understanding because, you know, really if you take that weight off their shoulders of needing to turn things in on by a certain day or, or, you know, they know their teacher is going to be collecting something, um, take that weight off their shoulders and then they can just focus on really learning something and then have that sense of accomplishment as they're moving forward. Um, but like we've kind of talked about, it's a huge mind mindset shift. Um, and Daisha, I sort of agree with some of my honors classes. Those are sort of the kids that sometimes struggle initially because they're so used to, um, they're really good at completing things. And so they're used to that sort of reflecting in 
their progress and then therefore their grades. But um, when you sort of ask them to go back and really understand something, then it gets a little bit trickier. So then they, they're realizing that, oh, I actually have to sort of spend time with this. And just because I completed it doesn't necessarily mean I'm ready for a mastery check and ready to move on to the next thing. Um, so yeah, Deja, all, all great stuff there, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So I'm starting to see the connection now between this and, and the progress topic, right? Progress versus grades, because I feel like in a lot of ways, what, what we're really saying with this is like the progress isn't even the X is on the tracker. The progress is happening inside of your mind. It's the learning, right? Like you personally are making progress by mastering more and more of this content. And so the thing I'm putting up on the board or the little magnet station in your class when you were in person, like that's just a, it's a tracker. Like the actual progress is happening within your mind. It's your learning. Uh, Paul, something that you said I thought was really interesting and resonated with me a lot, which was that you don't even collect most of the things besides the mastery checks. And so I, I guess like a cynical viewpoint would be like, oh, I don't have to do any of this. He's not collecting it. He's not grading it. So why do it? But the answer is in order to do well on the mastery check, you have to know the content, right? And so if you want to learn the content, here's a lot of stuff. Here's a whole bunch of scaffolding and structures and, and activities and questions and all this stuff, videos, of course, um, to help you learn this content. So when you get to the mastery check, you're ready for it. You do well on it, not because it's easy, not because you're good at doing well on assignments, but because you know this stuff, right? You can, you can do well on the mastery check. And that, I think that that feels like progress sort of inherently, internally. Uh, and of course you get the nice validation of seeing your little check mark on the board, right? But, but that's really not what it's about. It's about the learning within the student. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that they need to see growth as the most valuable thing. Yeah. And changing that mindset is hard. And I think I've seen it more, I think in my virtual learning environment, we get a lot of students in our virtual Academy who have high anxiety about a a lot of things. (laughs) It's one of the reasons why they chose online school when they could have chosen person school. And for many of them, you know, that idea, I have to be perfect. The first go around is, is, is just like crippling for them and getting them to understand that growth is positive. It's valuable. Um, No, you're not going to always get it the very first time and that's normal and that's okay. And it doesn't mean you're not smart and it doesn't mean you're not a good learner. It doesn't mean you're not a good student. It just means that everyone across the board, it, t- it learns in different ways and at different time spans. And, and again, I think it, it does really fall. The honest does really though fall on the educator to look at the movement on the tracker as an indicator of where you need to push in so that every student is feeling that forward momentum whether they're, you know, right on pace, a lesson behind or a lesson ahead, they're feeling the forward momentum because you are offering the right kind of challenge and the right kind of support and scaffolding for them to get that progress. Yeah. Um, you reminded me of the, I, on the, on the previous week's podcast, I used the example of if I were trying to learn to play the oboe, I couldn't expect, I'm, I'm not an oboe player. I'm not any kind of wind instrument player. So I shouldn't expect to pick up an oboe and, know how to play it 
right? It's going to take me a very, very long time to sound anywhere near decent, oboe being a double reeded instrument. I don't know that much about wind instruments, but I know that oboe is hard. So we shouldn't, our students, I think that the mindset here is that you shouldn't expect to necessarily do something very well the first time. If you do, great. You might, you might come into this class already knowing how to do this. And that's great. You might come into my class being an oboe player, for example, right? And be great. But you might also not. And that's, that's not like, it's not a judgment. I think that a lot of students who are accustomed to getting very high grades and those sort of those types of students, right? It comes easy because that's what they're good at. That's like their area of skill is doing well on school assignments. And that's fine. Um, But when we ask them to take a different approach, it can be it can be unnerving, I think, for them, because it's like, this is how I saw myself. I am a person who gets good grades. So why are you making me revise this? Normally, I just do well. Um, And I think that that's probably healthy. Uh, although it can maybe be scary for them, right? Um, I think that you're right that it's, it's about growth. It's about uh, giving them the tools to grow and also, I think, putting up the data to show you are growing, you are making progress. And I think that the students know because we are kind of bullish on these mastery checks and we will send them back over and over, like you were saying before, Paul, that the progress on the board, on the tracker, is very real. You know, it's 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 validation coming from me that you have made this progress in your learning. So, um, these are, these are very, very good points. I love, I love this discussion and, um, I, I hope that anybody listening that may be a little bit apprehensive about trying out a pacing tracker, uh, is opening up to the idea. I think that we haven't even talked at all about how the tracker itself can be a motivator for the students, but, but I think that it's, it's probably somewhat obvious from the way that we're talking about it, that when students are making that progress, when they're seeing those checks appear, it's, it's just affirming for them what they already know, which is I have learned something. I am moving towards a goal by learning more and more. And I, and I think that it it's real, right? It feels real to them. So folks, we're going to go to a quick break. We have some really exciting, actually, announcements for you this week. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about this distinction between progress and grades. Hey there, listeners. This is Zach with the announcements for this week. First of all, as you know, at Modern Classrooms, we deeply believe in student-centered learning. We've seen it in classrooms all over the world. When you step down from the front of the classroom and commit to self-paced, mastery-based instruction, you are actually able to meet all students' needs. But we also know this style of teaching isn't necessarily mainstream, so if you're looking for support in launching your Modern Classroom, join our free online course or sign up for our virtual mentorship program, where expert educators can support and mentor you through creating your first fully self-paced unit. Scholarships are available, but you need to apply by October 6th to join our fall session. You can visit modernclassrooms.org to apply and learn more. We also have another really exciting announcement that I'm personally super excited about, which is that this week we're celebrating the launch of a new podcast by the Modern Classrooms Project. It's called Catalyzing Classroom Change. Educators, researchers, and institutions are developing cutting-edge instructional strategies that support both student learning and teacher wellness, but we know that educational change can be slow when it's adopted at scale. At the Modern Classrooms Project, we know firsthand how a single spark can catalyze classroom change. 
And you can listen and join the conversation with leaders in the education space to explore the newest frontiers of classroom-led innovation wherever you get your podcasts. And you'll be able to find a link in this episode's show notes. All right, folks, we're back with Paul and Daisha, and we're going to carry on this conversation about progress versus grades. And for my next question, I want to ask if you could both share a story of a student with whom you had some kind of a breakthrough on the tracker. And and I asked this because I've actually never had a student who experienced anxiety around the progress tracker, but I've heard it from so many teachers, like concerns that students might be anxious or I have students with anxiety, so I don't think this would work for me. But that's just never been my experience. And so I wanted to ask if either of you has had that experience with a student and maybe helped them to move past it. I honestly have not had a ton of pushback. And like I say, I've been doing this since, since early 2020 and, and I've you know had quite a few, you know, iterations of class classes doing it. I really have very few students who even really blink at it. Um, even with, like I said, my high anxiety kids that I, some of whom I teach now, I think because I'm framing it very carefully in the beginning, they're not as likely to push back on it. I will say this. I did have a sort of a breakthrough with one group of kids. I had um, a student who was trying to take a mastery check and they had taken it once and not done something great. I'd given them some feedback. They'd gone back to take it again, still had some misconceptions and that second time before they even really got back to me, they sort of just very loudly frustrated said, I don't understand why I can't get this right. You know, just like really frustrated. And I'm sitting there and the room's fairly quiet, but like three kids look up from where they're working and they're like, dude, grades aren't permanent in here. Just get Miss Guppy to give you some tips and you can fix it and it's fine. <laughs> and they were so nonchalant about it. But I was like, oh, that was such a wonderful moment because the kids got it. They understood. It's progress. It's just about making progress, dude. It's not chill out. Go go do what you need to do. And and for the kids to recognize it and express that, I think that was a big, huge moment for me and for them because um, they, they get it. They're like, it's, it isn't about, okay, well, you made a 60 this time and you made a 75 that time. We're not, that's not what the equation is about. The equation is about, can you make the revisions? Can you go back and re and figure out where your misconception is um, and, and make those, those changes. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love the, uh, you're right. The nonchalance, right? Just the sort of like, Hey, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And even, even how that student was not even so focused on the tracker, just like frustrated with, I don't know, I mean, you only gave a brief little overview of the story, right? But like, it sounded like the student was frustrated because they couldn't understand the content, which is exactly the kind of frustration we want, right? I mean, we don't want our students to like, give up in a huff, right? But, you know, if they're frustrated, because they're struggling with the content, that's so much better than any like surface layer thing, like I can't get a good enough grade on this or whatever. Yeah. Um, Yeah, very cool. How about you, Paul? Do you have a story of like a breakthrough you had with a student who was struggling with the tracker idea? Uh, I wish I did, Zach. And I don't, I don't know if that's good news for us that, um, that we're sort of three for three right here with these, you know, with us teachers um, not having a lot of these breakthrough moments. I think, you know, like I said, I, I do a lot to frame the self-pacing part before I actually introduce the tracker. So by the time my kids see the tracker, we've talked about self-pacing so much that we've kind of, um, we've kind of normalized it. 
I know in my first year, I was I was the one that was hesitant to show it because it is such a a, a mindset shift to think like, oh man, I'm going to show every student's progress to them on the board publicly every day to start class. It just seems like such a a daunting task. Um, and so originally, I wasn't doing that public progress tracker, but I had kind of what Deisha said earlier, like a just a physical tracker in the room. I just hung a piece of ribbon and the students wrote their names on clothespins. And so then they would move their clothespin up the, up the ribbon. And that seemed a little less uh, intimidating than putting like the digital tracker up on the board. And then the following year, I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to try it and see how it goes. And I talked about self-pacing. We did the origami butterfly activity. And then I showed the progress tracker and we jumped in the first unit and no student ever mentioned anything to me. And that's not to say that there might be some students out there that are a little hesitant by it and maybe a little bit anxious from it. Um, I make sure to, to tell them, you know, come come and talk to me if you have any questions, if you sort of want to dive into this. But I've never had a student come up to me one-on-one to, to mention anything. And I think as students taste that little bit of progress where they see, you know, their name move across the tracker or they see that they mastered a lesson, I think that's kind of all they need to sort of buy in. And they love that sense of satisfaction. It really is almost like, you know, beating levels in a video game where you're seeing your progress level to level and you keep, you know, beating the boss to move on to the next stage. And there's that sense of accomplishment with every piece. So I do think the kids end up liking it. Um, They come into the classroom, you know, sort of if they see like they're behind or they're on pace and they want to move ahead or get caught back up, they're sort of, you know, instantly motivated, like you mentioned earlier. So um, yeah, in short, I haven't had (laughs) any breakthrough moments with students, but I think that's a good thing because uh, there's a nice sense of buy-in kind of right from the start. So um, hopefully uh, hopefully a nice motivator for any teachers out there that are maybe hesitant like I was initially or thinking about it, that um, it is worth it and it is such a great experience for, you know, kids to feel that sense of accomplishment with their with their progress. So I, I definitely recommend going for it. I think more hesitancy comes from parents and administrators than it does from kids, to, to, to be real honest. I think most of the time when teachers are like, ooh, I'm scared of that, it, it's not even the kids. It's they're worried about parents being feeling, you know, not right about it. They're worried about administrators pushing back on it. And again, it, it, it does come back down to, is it, how are you framing it? And I think putting a lot of positives, like having shout outs on your pacing tracker, if you're projecting it on the board, you know, recognizing that forward momentum for what it is, uh, is, is, is helpful as well. Um, but I think that that a lot of the, you know, worry about or anxiety from educators about the progress trackers stems more from how parents and ed- admins going to react than it does from the kids themselves. Yeah, 100%. I, I fully agree with that, Daisha. I think that's a very good point because I too have really never had a student even like blink an eye at it. I've just, it's just there. It's just part of my class and they don't think about it. You know, sometimes you'll get like the little offhanded comment like, oh, I'm, I'm an ex ahead of you. Or like that, you know, because they're, I mean, like I said, these are middle schoolers and they make fun of each other pretty much constantly. So, you know, that's, you get what you get. Um, I did have a colleague, uh, a modern classrooms educator who was at my school for several years. And he, he did have an experience where a single parent, I guess, made enough noise <laughs> that he had to sort of update his format, which um, I say that just because it can happen. But interestingly, it came from a parent, not from a student. And I mean, it's rare. I, I I hope that I didn't just like scare away any of the people that you brought in, Paul. But like the story 
is a singular one-off thing that happened of a single parent who made a lot of noise. And it is rare and it is always easy to adjust. You know, if I, I, I've had some, some times where I had some parents or administrators who were kind of on the fence about it. They're like, "Mm, I don't feel like this is great. I'm like, it's no, it's no big deal. We just, we changed to having avatars or we changed to having like, because I teach social studies, everybody picks a historical figure. That's who you are for the rest of the year. So now look, Thomas Jefferson's in, you know, ahead of pace and we just rolled with it. And I didn't make a big deal about it. I just continued to use the tool. And, and so, you know, even if you're on the fence and you're worried about those possibilities of pushback, there's always ways to adjust and still be able to use it you know, in a, in a positive way in your classroom. Yeah. And I, I honestly think that, so that's a great point. First of all, you can anonymize the tracker and still have it be public. But I also think that it's worth the risk because the benefits are so incredibly great compared to the trade-off, which is the possibility that somebody will complain like that. And uh, I mean, the students see it too. Like the students use that tracker you know, we talked a little bit about the motivation that they get from from moving ahead, from seeing an ex show up. They they ask me, Mr. Diamond, I submitted lesson one. Where's my ex? I didn't I don't see my ex yet. Like they want that thing. So it motivates them. But also they use it like I'll use it in discussions. If they ask me what to do, I'll say, well, what lesson are you on? And they, they like look up at the tracker and they say, oh, I'm on lesson three. OK, I know what to do. And it's like it's a very tangible thing that's useful in the classroom. And so, you know, people push back for everything. And I think that lots of times people will sort of critique innovative approaches to things without applying the same critique to what's happening currently, which I think is also not working. And so, you know, having that, having discussions like this one where we can talk about how we're framing the data that we are putting in front of the classes helps us to to communicate this with parents, to communicate this with administrators who may be hesitant to, to let us do that or to, to have that happening in the classrooms. You know, this is why it's so important to frame it this way. I had a student this year, a brand new student to my class, a seventh grader, who on the very first day I showed them the tracker and he said to me, that's going to be up there every day. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, everyone's going to see everyone's progress. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, I'm going to have to do all these lessons then. And I was like, okay, if that's how you want to look at it, great. I think you should do the lessons because you want to do the lessons. It was the closest I've ever come to having a student who who really was afraid of the tracker. He wasn't afraid of it. It energized him to participate in class. So, um, great. So, uh, this has been fantastic. Again, I think this is an important discussion to have just to help teachers think through this so we can communicate with those stakeholders who may push back, uh, but just in general to be thinking about this, right? And for our for ourselves to communicate with students as well. Um, so, so thank you both so much for this. It's been amazing. Before we close out, I'd like to ask you, both of you have been on the podcast before. We've heard from you. You're already doing Modern Classrooms and we're kind of in it now, right? But what goals do you have? Like, what? where do we go from here? Now that we're doing modern classrooms, we're fully bought in, what do you hope to see in the future? What do you, maybe goals you have for this school year? Yeah, so um, I I think teaching ninth grade, and it may be similar for you teaching sixth grade, Zach, is that you're sort of getting kids at this new, you know, this new juncture of school, uh, this new juncture of life. And so a lot of times, I think especially in ninth grade, their middle school experience, experience is so... Uh, formative 
that when they get to that ninth grade year, they've kind of already decided, you know, who they are as students, essentially, um, or they, they think they've decided who they are as students. And so um, they either feel like they're really good at school and they enjoy it, um, but maybe it's starting to get stressful because of grades and high stakes, grades start to matter in high school, um, or maybe they've faced a lot of struggles or barriers to learning. And so they've just kind of checked out and, you know, they're not interested in trying to make that progress and, and be successful, even though they, you know, they certainly could, um, you know, they certainly are able to. So I think what I want to continue working on this year is just, is reminding kids to, I always tell them like, give, give my class a chance, right? Like if you can sort of forget about, you know, any bad or overwhelming or stressful math middle school experiences you might've had, um, give the, this class a chance. You can have total redemption in this, in this class, especially because I'm, you know, assuming they haven't been in a modern classroom, uh, a modern classroom before. And so getting to mine could be a, a totally different, you know, new changing experience for them. So, um, I think what I want to continue focusing on this year is just, you know, individualizing the learning experience, um, and making kids, you know, feel like their needs are being met, uh, you know, versus needing to keep the pace, you know, keep up with the pace that the teacher is setting. So those, you know, the students that are ready to move ahead, I want to make sure to challenge them so that they're enjoying school, enjoying the challenge. But I also want to focus on those kids that have had those bad experiences and, and, you know, try to give them that redemption year so they can taste that little bit of success that can hopefully kind of lead them into a, a good start of their high school career. Um, so that's my goal. It's a tall task, <laughs> but yeah. uh, I'm going to keep at it. I love that. Give my class a chance. You know, I love that because I think it connects with this, right? Like students who are used to getting bad grades, it's it's a change in mindset that will open them up to trying, right? To giving your class a chance, to trying to make that progress and seeing that they can. It might not be as fast as they had expected because they're used to the idea of going at the teacher's pace, but but they can. And if they give it a chance, they'll they'll see that they can. I love that. I love that, Paul. How about you, Daisha? What what do you hope to see in the future? What goals do you have for this year? Um, well, I mean, I've been building slowly my library of video content and building up, you know, my Canvas courses over the past several years. So I'm feeling in a in a pretty good place as far as that piece of it. I know a lot of times when people first start modern classrooms, that is the piece that feels the most daunting is building their video library. And I feel like I'm getting to a sweet spot with that. Um, but I'm really working hard to try and build a lot more student choice into my lessons and into my activities. I want to give, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually starting to sort of test run mastery paths with some of my Canvas courses so students can go in different directions based on where their achievement levels are and where they're able to, you know, where they need more support or, you know, sending those kids straight to those aspire to do's if they're, you know, ready for them. Um, and just building more of that student choice into my lessons and into my modules than perhaps I ever had before. That's, that's been my goals this year. And that's what I'm working toward right now. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that as a sort of like, where do we go from here? Because yeah, it's, after doing modern classrooms for long enough, I, I also feel like I'm kind of in a sweet spot with the videos. And it's really great, honestly, because I know what's what's coming. Like, I don't have that much planning to do right now. And so I can focus on other things. Like, I can focus on individualizing sort of my teaching where, where it's needed, really using the data on my tracker to make to make sure that the students who are falling behind get the attention they need. I can focus on reaching out to their families during my planning periods when I would have been making those lessons. And so, yeah, it's definitely nice to get to that point and and have that time back 
right? Have invested the time and now kind of have it back to really, really work with the students closely um, because my videos are pretty much done. And I'm not going to lie. It's really great. It's it really, really nice. It's a, it's a great moment. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, could you let us know how our listeners could connect with you? Um, you're definitely all over Modern Classrooms, both of you. So um, people might want to reach out because you've been on the podcast before and your name's come up. So let us know. How can our listeners connect with you if they wanted to talk more about progress or I guess anything MCP? Um, definitely they can reach out to me with my I, I have my Modern Classrooms email, daisha.guffey at modernclassrooms.org. Um, they can also reach out to me for my personal email, which is daisha1976 at gmail. Either one of those, I'm happy Always happy to hear from other educators. I love to share resources, especially for social studies folks. I have a plethora of things I love to share and just love love working and connecting with other educators. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Paul, how about you? Yeah, I'm on, you know, the Modern Classroom probably mentor directory. If you search my name there, you can probably find information about me. But um, yeah, I'm I'm decently active on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Paul Donahue underscore. Um, and so you'll find like lots of reposts about MCP stuff, grading stuff. I'm really passionate about, um, the occasional, uh, professional running scene might, might hit your feed here and there, but, uh, I do try to make it pretty, pretty education based. So Twitter's a great spot. Um, feel free to go back and look through my feed, send me a DM, DM if you have any questions or want to chat more. Um, that would be a, a great place to reach out. Awesome. Cool. And I'll link uh, your email, your Modern Classrooms email as well. To both of you, thank you again. I can't say enough how much I've enjoyed this conversation and just talking about this stuff. Um, I like how we can dive so deep on this one singular topic, right? It is a very big aspect of Modern Classrooms, but it's been a very, very good discussion. And I've definitely enjoyed nerding out on the on the tracker kind of thing. So thank you both. Thank you both for joining me. This has been incredible. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate it. Definitely. I appreciate it as well. Listeners, remember you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org and you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 156. We'll have this episode's transcript uploaded on Friday, so be sure to check back in the show notes if you'd like to access that. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next Sunday. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.